We're in this series really kind of shaping our culture together as a church that we are the people of God seeking to know Jesus, to believe in him to the core of our being, and for our lives lived out to be lived out with God in that deep belief and discipleship to Jesus. So we've been having conversations to point us that way. And uh, today we're going to be in, we've got two more weeks of this after today, and then we're going to kick into uh, kind of a Christmas series that I'm pretty excited about. So um, take a Bible or your smartphone, and that's another reason the apps is so cool, because the teaching notes are in there, and you can follow along in there, add your own notes on your phone, send them to yourself or to someone else. Just one more reason that's a good device. But uh, look at the scriptures and turn to Proverbs chapter six, uh, Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16. Now, we're going to start with John 6, 29, which I've been asking you to memorize throughout this series. So um, we're going to do that one by memory for those of you who have memorized it. So it is our custom to stand for the reading of God's Word if you're willing and able to do so. And let's start with John 6, 29, which says this, the works of God, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And we're on a journey together uh, to believe in Jesus. What does that mean to really believe? We have to confess that many times we are uh, practical agnostics where we profess belief, but when the rubber hits the road, we tend to solving our own problems, reaching for other solutions and not letting that belief actually drive how we live, work, study, play, interact. And then the second one is Proverbs 16, and we're doing verse 6 today. Our series has been out of the first seven verses of Proverbs 16, uh, actually th the first eight verses, but today we're on verse 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. That is the word of God. You can be seated. And those of you online, if you don't have communion elements in your house, grab uh, like a, even a coffee or a water and a cracker or bread of some kind so that we take communion together. We want you to participate in that with us. So through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. We're going to talk today about love and faithfulness. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. And we're going to talk about avoiding evil. So let's talk about love. Love is kind of a popular subject, and I find that most of our definitions of love are pretty weak sauce. Uh, so if I asked you, you know, how would you define love? Uh, in your head, just kind of, and I don't know if you remember, this is probably, well, uh, I mean, I'm old. When I was a kid in the funny papers, do you, you might not even remember what the funny papers are, uh, but every, every, every issue of the paper had the funny pages. And on Sunday, there was a section a comic section in there, and that was the funny papers. And I had an old friend, an old guy, who every time I would see him, I'd say, hey, Charlie, good to see you. And when he would say goodbye, he'd say, I'll see you in the funny papers, because, you know, that was, a... anyway. <laughs> if I'm missing you generationally, I'm just making it worse. But there was, in the funny papers, there was a love is box every single week. I don't know if any of you remember these. And they were these kind of uh, Cupid-looking figures, a man and a, and a woman, and, and they had these uh, love is. Every week, love is a different thing. And I looked up some of those so I could give you kind of the weak sauce uh, definitions of love. Listen to this. 
Uh, love is someone who isn't perfect, but perfect for you. Ah. Love is when you're lost for words. Love is where you want to be. And what happens when you don't want to be there anymore, I guess? Love uh, is when your differences make no difference. I'm sure you guys could do better than this. This one, love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. Now, here's the thing. That one is attributed to Aristotle. I have to believe that's a lie. There's no way a guy that smart would say something that stupid. <laughs> love is six little words. No matter what, I got you. That's the closest one to a decent one. Uh, here's, here's the worst. Love is an unfettered, no, love is an untamed force. When we try to control it, it destroys us. When we try to imprison it, it enslaves us. And when we try to understand it, it leaves us feeling lost and confused. What? I don't understand a thing that guy just said. Uh, love is uh, an interesting thing. And, you know, in our culture now, love is love is a big saying. And people say, well, God is love. And then they turn that around and say, well, love is God. Love is not God. God is love. And we define love by God. We don't define God by our definition of love. And so uh, what I want to first talk about is this Proverbs uh, 16, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. And we're introduced to a word there that's going to help us understand love and faithfulness. And it's the word chesed. Okay, it's a Hebrew word. I'm not going to say it like that anymore. I may try it one more time. Chesed, okay? Uh, we have wonderful, beautiful people on the front row, and if I try it a bunch more times, I might spray it on them. So I'm just going to call it uh, hesed, okay? That's the way gringos pronounce it, just hesed. Uh, but it's a Hebrew word, and it's a fascinating word. Through hesed, sin is atoned for. So let's talk about this first. And hesed is an amazing word. It shows up 250 times in the Old Testament. It's a big word. It's a very hard word to define. Love and faithfulness is one uh, example. It means uh, God's love, his devotion, his acts of love. It means his endurance, his staying power, the fact that you can't run God off. It's like this whole litany of deep understanding of the love of God. I don't know if you've ever had this frustration that you have this aha moment in your life and you try to give it to someone else and, they, and it never, the light never comes on. This is my concern today because this notion, I'm convinced the two most powerful forces in the life of a human being are supposed to be the hesed of God and fear of the Lord. There's a marriage here and these two forces interacting together are what calibrate our lives and what help us to know God deeply and to live for God in real time in our lives. So let's get our arms around this hesed of God. It is his love. It is his staying power. Isaiah 54 uh, verse 10 says this. I didn't mark it in my Bible. There it is. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my hesed for you will not be shaken. Not my covenant of peace, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, 
who has compassion on you. This is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is where people who are deconstructing their faith go. They go to the Old Testament and they try to, uh, you know, scrounge up a God who is hateful, who's insecure, who just wipes people out. But in the Old Testament, in that part of the Bible, 250 times God is describing his commitment of love to all human beings. I will keep my covenant for you forever because of my hesed. Though the mountains shake, Though the hills be flattened, though the world loses its mind, my hesed for you will not be shaken. This is the nature of God. This is who he is, is he's a covenant God. I've been in my Old Testament reading, I'm seeing all these covenants that God has made. Six covenants God makes throughout the scriptures. Some say seven when you count the eternal covenant of our eternal life. But he makes a covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then he makes a covenant with Noah. And then he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he makes a covenant with Moses. And he makes a covenant with David. And then he makes a covenant through the person of Jesus to us. Through the hesed of God, sin is atoned for. It's really important that we understand this nature of God that is so committed to us. Psalm 136 is 26 verses, and 26 times it speaks of the hesed of God. It goes like this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, and the congregation would reply, his hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, his hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His hesed endures forever. This is a psalm in the Old Testament. To him alone, uh, to him who alone does great wonders, his hesed endures forever. He who by his understanding made the heavens, his hesed endures forever. 26 times the congregation recites, his hesed endures forever. What an amazing thing the hesed of God, his love, his patience, his commitment to you, his desire to covenant with you for your redemption. This has been the heart of God since prior to creation. And then when Adam and Eve sin, God enters into a redemptive covenant with them. And from there on, he has one driving part of his nature, his hesed, his enduring love, his commitment to redemption, his eagerness to covenant with us to change everything. Man, the hesed of God, through that, sin is atoned for. I also think this is what God's glory looks like. Now, I mentioned to you before, and you'll hear me say it lots of times, how Moses is my favorite dude in the Bible. And two of my favorite chapters are Exodus 33 and 34, where God and Moses have a conversation and I want to just look at that with you, where Moses asks God to show him his glory. Watch this. This is so cool. This is Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not yet let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Why? Because you covenanted with them. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with this people if you do not go with us? 
what will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses musters up the courage to ask this, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. Drop down to chapter 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. This is now where God is answering his prayer. Show me your glory. Here's the glory of God. The Lord. The Lord. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed, love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. We're going to circle back to that in a minute. Right now, I want you to focus on the hesed of God. This is the glory of God, is his great love and faithfulness. We think we understand love. We think we love people. We think we really love certain people. I don't know how you could have a child born into your home and not love them with a more selfless love than normal. But even our efforts at love are so weak compared to what God is talking about right here. This is his glory, is his hesed. The fact that he loves you in spite of you, the fact that he will never stop loving you, the fact that the mountains can collapse and the hills can fall, but his covenant of hesed with you will never be shaken. The incredible love of God, what does that look like? Turns out it looks like Jesus. Hebrews chapter uh, 1, in former days God spoke to us in various means and various ways through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his Son who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. You want to know what the nature of God is? Look at Jesus, who Philippians 2 tells us, though he was God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be leveraged to his own advantage, but emptied himself and became humble, took on the form of a human being. Not just a human, but a servant. Not just a servant, but a servant who was crucified a criminal's death for you. Don't talk to me about how much you love somebody when that's, this is what love is. Look, uh, another one of those love is, love is never having to say you're sorry. Isn't that cute? Let me tell you what love is. Love is a bloody, sacrificial, all-out effort to redeem you with no regard for the price I'm paying for you, this is the hesed of God. He loves you. How much does he love you? This much. You never have to ask a person on a cross how much they love you. You never have to ask someone who will give up their life for you 
how much they love you. This is the hesed of God. It is the central piece of his nature. Jesus is the hesed of God, incarnate. Then you see Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this to you. This is Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 8. Just to give you another deeper thought about the hesed of God. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because, I love that, but because of his great Hesed for us would be, this is the New Testament word for that now, which is agape. Because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy did something no one else could or would do. He made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God not only made us alive, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace lavished on us in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not even of yourselves. Even your faith doesn't come from you. It's the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. Think about this. God becomes flesh and lives among us to covenant with us through his own brutal execution to redeem us forever. This seems so unfair. It says right there that he seated us with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Wait, 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 wait. If this was me, I'm like, hey, Father, they're the knucklehead objects of wrath that I was crucified for, and you're going to seat them with me in this seat of honor? Yes, and Jesus doesn't even argue this because this is why he came, the hesed of God. I'm trying to drill into your heart that you are profoundly loved by God. 1 John 4 says, this is how we know what love is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. This is the Hesed of God. It's the nature of who he is, and it's why we stand in awe of him. I've been thinking about the word awesome. Today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of holy awe. Now we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord in just a second. And that fear word means terror, abject fear, and it means reverence and awe. We use the word awesome all the stinking time. In fact, I heard myself use it in the lobby four times today. Oh, somebody's telling me, you know, oh, this happened. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that's awesome. You know, the Broncos are going to beat the Buffalo Bills on Monday night. That's awesome. Uh, sorry, man, the Patriots are going to suck for a long time. That's awesome. Uh, you know, but here's the thing. If everything's awesome, nothing's awesome. What are you going to call something that really is awesome? I'm going to try to stop using that word. Because it should be reserved for something that really is awesome. You know what's awesome? The hesed of God. If you stare at his great love for us and how far we are from deserving it, 
it drops your jaw. That God forgave us, that he loved us, in hesed is sin atoned for. Here's a little known fact in this world of ours. Sin is atoned for. Jesus will never do it again. He did it once and for all. The sins of the world have been atoned for. Every sacrifice that will ever be needed for the sins of this world has been made through the hesed of God. That means the only gap between us and our sin being atoned for is us to receive this miracle from God and believe it in our hearts because it's been done for us. The radical love of God has, in fact, atoned for your sin. Well, that if you stare at that, like if you're honest about how badly you suck, like it, I, when I was in school, we had to read a book, I'm okay, you're okay. I don't know if you remember that. It was kind of like the start of a movement to, to this stupidity thing that we are incredible people and, you know, you really are awesome and wonderful. Uh, no, the Bible tells the truth about us. We are image bearers of God. We have greatness in us. That is there. What makes us beautiful is the redeeming hand of God. What makes us lovely is the, is the presence of God over us. It is not us. In me, Paul says, dwells no good thing except Christ. God said when he flooded the whole world that the intention of human hearts was only evil all the time. And then when he makes the covenant with Noah, do you know what he says? I will never again flood the earth. And he puts a rainbow in the sky. Never again. I'll see that rainbow. When I get tired of you, I'm going to look at that rainbow and I'll never again flood the earth, even though the hearts and thoughts, the thoughts of every human heart are only evil all the time. I meet people that I would say are good people, even good people. Why do we keep getting shocked when people fail? We have to throw ourselves on the mercy of God and drink deeply of the chesed of God, the loving faithfulness of God. And the only way to do that is this idea of the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? When Abraham and Sarah would travel before she gave birth to their miracle son, he would say when he went to Egypt for the first time, hey, tell everybody you're my sister. Now, this is interesting to me because he said, you're so beautiful. I have to say this to my wife, you know, make sure that you wear that ring loud and proud because you're so beautiful. But he, listen to this. She's, he takes her to Egypt. He says, you need to, when somebody says, uh, hey, what's the deal between you and Abraham? Just say, he's my brother. Why? He said, because there's no fear of God in this place and they will kill me and take you from me. Side note, the chick is 70 years old the first time this happens. She must have been something. But he's afraid. Why? Because there's no fear of God in this place. I have to tell you, when I think of that, I think of our country. And probably this is a great description of the United States of America right now. There is no fear of God in this place. We do not concern ourselves nationally with God's opinion on just about anything. We do not stare at his grace. We do not stare at the awesomeness of the one who made us. Even when you think about American history, it, this is a miracle place. I mean, it is something God has done that's unique. It's not, it's not a theocracy. It's not, it's not literally the kingdom of heaven. 
But man, what an incredible nation. You can't help but see the hand of God in how we became a nation. And yet there's no fear of God in this place. People will choose themselves. They'll ignore the laws of nature. We even have in our Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all people are created and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. I mean, that's a declaration of a divine being. But we don't live like a nation under the authority or oversight of a divine being. We live like there's no one in control but us. There's no fear of God in this place. What is it to have the fear of God? Because through the fear of God, evil is avoided. This is why there's so much evil in our land, because there is no fear of God. I was thinking about your chainsaw, like if, you're a, if you have a chainsaw. I would say it this way, through the awe and reverence of the chainsaw, are injuries avoided? The minute you start working your chainsaw and you get comfortable with that and you just don't even concern yourself with being careful, that's when you are about to get really hurt. Is God wanting to hurt us? Man, he is awesome. When you think about uh, even, let's go back. Well, let me tell you this. When you, as I've been reading through the Old Testament now in my regular reading plan, you go through Leviticus and Numbers, which are really, you know, something. Because you're learning about laws about bodily discharges and not eating an animal in its mother's milk and all these kind of laws. But after all these laws, God makes a law and he says, I am the Lord. Like you live this way because I am am the Lord. And here's something that I noticed over the last year that I had never noticed before. When they're bringing sacrifices to God, they always require that the bringer of the animal lay their hands on the animal. Now, it doesn't repeat this detail every time, but when you go back to this beginning, here's what you have to do. You bring an animal because God said, without the, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So I got to bring a sacrifice to God. And you would lay your hands on this animal, and you would look this animal in the eye while its throat was slit and its blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Even back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve uh, ate the fruit and betrayed God, remember what God said, if you eat this, you'll surely die? Well, this is the covenant wrapped in there because God made uh, animal skin clothing for them, which means he killed an animal. And I am certain he had Adam and Eve place their hands on this animal while he killed it and its blood was shed because of sin. Here's the thing. I think God wants you to have an intimate relationship with the high price of your sin because it keeps you staring at the hesed of God. When you have a low view of your own sinfulness, you have a low appreciation for the love of God. Conversely, when you recognize what was paid to set you free, the New Testament says it this way, you've been redeemed, not with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Son of God. God doesn't want us to have an intimate relationship with our sin so that we would feel guilty and ashamed all the time. He wants us to have an intimate relationship with our sin so that we would be blown away by the love and faithfulness of God in spite of our sin. Every time I read now, they laid their hands on that animal, laid their hands on that animal, laid their hands on that animal. Even the scapegoat, when they would have two goats, they would sacrifice one. The other one, they would confess the sins of the people and send it into the woods, spattering it with blood. The scapegoat, they had to lay their hands on it and confess 
their sin. Why does God want us to confess our sin? Why does he want us to see the depravity of our hearts? Why does God want you to keep remembering that in your heart is only selfishness all the time? And you, when you do well, when you're a good person, you are intentionally overcoming the impulse that is in your bones to do something for yourself, to be selfish. Why does he want you to keep staring at that? So that you will continue to be blown away that God became flesh and was crucified to redeem you from that, to set you free. So going back to Exodus 34, I, wanted to, I told you we'd circle back to this. You have the glory of God revealed. God walks by Moses, lets him see his glory. And I'm going to read it to you one more time. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, rebellion and sin. You go, yes, man, I love that. And then this line, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Let's talk about that for a second because I really don't like the words the translators chose there. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished is the word chosen there. It means blameless. God's hesed is real. His loving, faithfulness, covenant commitment to you, but he will not leave the guilty blameless. You are still responsible for your sin. It uses the word unpunished and punished. He doesn't leave them unpunished and he punishes the children. The word punishes there means he visits. He visits. Here's what I think God is up to with us. He is full of loving faithfulness and forgiveness to you. He will not leave your sin blameless. You're going to have to confess it. And he wants you to lay your hands on Jesus who shed his blood for the remission of your sin. He wants you to lay your hands on Jesus and confess your sin to him. And he's going to visit your children not because he's haunting your children, not because he's punishing your children for the sins of their parents. Even in the Old Testament, he says he doesn't do that. He said, I will not punish the kids for the sins of their parents. But here's what we know. Our sin nature is in our blood. And it is passed through the father to the children. This is DNA 101 about the sin nature of humans. This is why Jesus is conceived in a virgin and does not have the DNA blood uh, uh, sperm of a human, he is, given, he is given the fatherhood of God himself. Therefore, he is born without sin. The rest of us, we have a human fathers. We are born in sin. And here's what happens. You ever notice this? Boy, the sins of the father just keep on ticking. I meet 60-year-old men who are still trying to overcome who their fathers were. God visits that sin. Why? Because it's in you. My father was my very best friend, and he was a habitual adulterer, and he was a misogynist, and he was my very best friend. Those are not in conflict with each other, and God visits the sins of my father in my heart, and he wants me to confess what's in me as I lay my hands on the head of Jesus who forgives me and shed his blood for me. This is what the fear of God is like. It's not shame. 
The devil loves shame. God has no interest in shame. Guilt is I did a bad thing. Shame is I am a bad thing. And while we confess that in me dwells no good thing except Jesus, I am an image bearer of God created in the image of God for dominion. I was made with a purpose. There's something in me of greatness from God tainted by the sin nature that came through my father. And I need to confess that in me. I'm running out of time, so let me cut to uh, one last scripture for you. Micah chapter 6, how does this all kind of look? And by the way, you know, it is the fear of God. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. The word avoided means turned around from and parted from. What helps us avoid evil is not self-discipline. What's going to help me avoid the sin nature in my life is not, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't look at that, don't think about that. That only makes things worse. What helps me avoid the sin that is in my veins is to stare at the hesed of God, to have awe of the God who loved me, who forgave me. Staring at your own sinfulness is only helpful to remind you about how awesome God is who loves you and forgave you. Stare at that, and through staring at that, through staring at God, evil's avoided. I tell my adult kids, I tell young, young adults, when you get married, okay, this, I'm not beating on anybody. This is not, this is not a beatdown. This is, this is how evil's avoided. If you grow up loving Jesus with all of your heart and being aware of his great grace lavished upon you, that, he, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and he made you alive, God doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. And you realize that, and then as a young person, you give yourself focused on the goodness of God, having a holy awe of who he is. There's a hundred disastrous decisions you'll never have to recover from. When two virgins get married and the only sexual experience they have is with each other, they don't have to worry about STDs. They don't have to worry about, uh, you know, they, they've got a thing going there that is incredible. They're not comparing themselves to other people they've known in the past sexually. I mean, let's just get going. You could go through all kinds of things. When you're focused on the goodness of God, evil gets avoided. You turn away from it because you're walking a different direction. I've told you before when I interview high school kids and I let them write questions on a card and I answer their questions, there are a couple of questions that occur every time. One of them is, uh, how far can you go on a date before it's sin? And this is one of the questions we all do. See, we ask these questions, how carnal can I be before I cross that line? So we have this huge road of living with God. And we don't want to go down the middle of the road. We want to hug the guardrail. How close can I get to that guardrail? When you stare at the hesed of God and you realize how deeply loved you are and that the God of all glory took on flesh and hung on a cross for you, that he has lavished his grace. When you stare at that, boy, the, the draw of evil is diluted. This is how we avoid evil. Summarize it all in Micah 6, 6 through 8. I love this. Micah the prophet is asking, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, these sacrifices? 
Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? That's a foreshadowing that God himself is gonna do that. He's gonna offer his firstborn for our transgression. Shall I even do that? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? We're on the other side of this now. Jesus has done that for us, so here's the answer. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, here it is, to love hesed. It's the word there. And walk humbly with God. Man, how do we move forward in our lives? You do the right thing. That's what God does. He helps us do that. And you love hesed. What is that? That's mercy, that's grace, that's forgiveness, that is standing by people even though they betray you, that is faithfulness, that is endurance, that's love. Choose God's hesed and then walk humbly with God. It doesn't get more complicated than that. That's really the the call. So here's your response today. I want you to think of, consider three responses. First is I want you to stare at God's hesed and give your heart to it. There's a word that's in the Bible that we don't use a lot called repentance. And it's a word that kind of sounds like a harsh or a mean word, but it's actually a beautiful word. Remember how uh, uh, with the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. That word avoided means turned around from. That's all repentance is. So maybe your first response is a repentance response. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to stare at Hesed. I'm going to stop staring at me and what I want and who I am and the decisions I've made and how bad people have been to me and how hard the world is and how I'm getting the short end of the stick and how blah, 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 blah. I'm going to stare at the Hesed of God. That's a repentance decision. I'm going to turn around from all that. And I'm going to stare at him. I want you to drink deeply of his grace. Man, I want you to know him. And then I want you to bless your oikos. So uh, I have my communion element in my pocket. If it hasn't burst on me while I was standing here, it's good to go. And I want you, you know, I was thinking about you doing this on your own. But I'd like us to do it together. The reason I love communion, so if you'll take out your communion elements and And those of you online, man, grab a cup of something and a a bread or a cracker of some kind. Let me tell you why I love communion. Jesus gave us two ordinances. I want you to remember through communion. I want you to take communion. I want you to remember this, what Jesus has done. And I want you to be baptized in water. And uh, they both have powerful meaning to them. What I love about communion is we hold in our hands the essence of our entire faith. God took on flesh, that's the bread. Jesus said, if you, if, you will not eat my, if you will not eat my flesh, you'll have no part of me. His body was given as bread to our soul. We, we celebrate the incarnation and the sacrifice of Jesus. And then the cup is his blood, which he says, celebrate this new covenant in my blood. There's that word. The hesed of God is a covenant love. And here's what he says, though you betray me, I'll never betray you. I will be with you, I'll never leave you because I've covenanted with you by the blood of Jesus. So what do we do? We lay our hands on the head of Jesus and we say, man, thank you, God. This is our entire faith. 
So I'm going to invite you to stand with me for this. Would you stand and um, Jesus on the night he was betrayed. And you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. We just want you to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. And if you'd say, man, I'm not sure I believe all this. Then I invite you just to set your communion elements down and just watch people who believe this, worship God in this way. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray over this. Lord, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that God took on flesh to redeem us. Oh, the love of God. Bless this bread to our bodies and more importantly to our soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread. And then you try to peel up this cup without spilling it everywhere. After supper, he took this cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Man, we proclaim that God took on flesh, that the once for all sacrifice shed his blood to redeem us forever. And through God's hesed, sin is atoned for. What a miracle. Father, we thank you for the cup. We ask you to bless it to our body and to our soul, and we celebrate the great love of God. Bless this, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's take this cup.